This is Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a series-based podcast focusing on surgical and medical education and featuring expert interviews and practice-changing discussion. Our host is Dr. Kara King, a member of the Cleveland Clinic's section of minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. Dr. King is also the director of benign gynecologic surgery and associate program director of the Cleveland Clinic's MIGS Fellowship. This podcast is a collaboration between MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons. We'll be right back after this message. This podcast is made possible by Boston Scientific. To learn more about Boston Scientific, please visit bostonscientific.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the featured clinicians and do not necessarily reflect the views of Boston Scientific. So I am really excited to have Dr. Vicki Reed with us today on our podcast. We are doing a special COVID-featured podcast with her today. Dr. Vicki Reed is an obstetrician and gynecologist here at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. She's also the program director of our OBGYN residency and vice chair of education here in Cleveland as well. So she has really amazing insight um, regarding resident and fellow safety, as well as creative ways that we've been implementing a new education in this new virtual world of COVID. So Dr. Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. Great, Dr. King, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love just to start out talking about our residency a little bit. I think we have a really unique residency in the country and that we're tracked. So would you mind just opening up with like how many residents we have and what our curriculum looks like outside of this whole COVID pandemic? So our program at the Cleveland Clinic in OBGYN actually just started in 2012. So we actually started a new program here where we used to have a combined program with one of the other residencies in town. So the way that the program works is is that we started out with five residents per year. And what happens is, is that certain blocks each year, starting in their first year, are dedicated to the residents coming up with their own individualized learning plans. So some people would say, wait, oh, that's just an elective. But actually, it's more than that because they actually come up with their goals, their objectives. They work with the faculty to come up with where their reading assignments are going to be. And they look at what's happening with their own education and develop what they need or want to get more of. So it's pretty exciting. And we are the only program um, like this in the whole country. And we now have currently 25 residents. So three years ago, we actually went for an increased increment and now are able to recruit for seven residents per year, which is why you see that variation. And then in our first year class, we actually took in one of the orphan Drexel residents. So we have eight in that year. So for our, our program manager, it's a challenge because we have different amount of residents each year. But starting in about a year and a half, we will have 28 That's amazing how far we've come in such a short amount of time. And, you know, you're exactly right in that you mentioned a lot of people think, are these just electives? But, you know, starting here, I've been here for almost a year now. I was really impressed with how detailed these resident plans are for these flex months. So just like you said, they're really detailed. They're reviewed by you. And they're um, extraordinary at really tapping into adult learning, right? Like focusing on what needs a resident has and letting them maximize that. 
That's right. And they actually, as part of the way that they evaluate this, um, twice a year they do self-assessments where they actually look at each of the milestones and figure out like how they're doing. We have specific areas where they can give evidence. So for example, they can look at the numbers of vaginal deliveries that they've done. They can look at the educational sessions that they've done. And um, they can look at evaluations and techniques that they've utilized to get these. But then they develop these plans and some of them develop them in certain tracks like we had one resident who graduated last year who knew right from the start she wanted to do FPRMS. She did all of her blocks. So she, when she graduated, had seven extra months of urogynecology or urology experience, depending on what she had picked going into her FPRMS fellowship. Um, we have other people who are doing specialty OBGYN, and they might, for example, um, want to learn more about pediatric um, or adolescent gynecology, or they might want to learn more about advanced hysteroscopy. So whether they're picking subspecialty or specialty career options, they have the opportunity to develop their own selves in a way that they want to. And in fact, it's interesting. Some people would be like, oh, well, everybody's going into fellowship, which we have had a lot of people going into fellowship recently. But we also have found that as when people have an early experience in some of these subspecialty areas, we actually have seen at least two people who thought they wanted to do a subspecialty. And by doing early experience, they found that there was a particular part that they loved about that but might not actually want to go into that subspecialty. So it gave them the opportunity to realize that earlier and then direct their learning in the further years of residency in a way that was more meaningful for them. I think this is tremendous. And I know I'm a little biased, but I am completely bought into this. I see a huge difference in our resident skill and their focus and their self-reflection and their self-evaluation here than I've seen anywhere else. And I think you're just doing a really phenomenal job at leading the curve on this. So Congratulations to you, Dr. Reed. It's, it's really phenomenal. One step back, how many flex months do these residents have? I'm just thinking ahead in regard to like reallocation of what's going on with our residents now in this pandemic stage. Sure. So I'll talk in blocks. So our residents had always had one in their first year, one in their second year, and then two in third and fourth years. But as we went from five to seven residents, the blocks are shifted from five to six weeks. They're now three to four weeks. So in order to continue to have an emphasis on the tracking, we added a second block in their second year. So now they have one block in their first year, two blocks in their second, two in their third, and two in their fourth. And so they have, you know, essentially four weeks for each of those blocks. Perfect. Okay, thank you. I think that just helps kind of frame us in regard to how we're moving forward with the surge planning that we're anticipating over the next couple of weeks. So with this COVID pandemic, my goodness, everything obviously has changed in regard to education, in regard to job roles for both staff fellows, residents, medical students. And this changes on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, obviously. So we're recording this today on Friday, March 27th, and things may be even changed by the time this is made public. But at the current status, can you talk to us about what we are doing as an enterprise to help keep our residents and fellows safe? What changes have we made thus far? Sure. So I'll talk about OBGYN specific because every um, specialty is doing something different. But for right now, you know, it's interesting if you look at the way things are happening for OBGYN, for us in Ohio right now, we actually are like in a 
pre-surge, I guess you will call it, because basically within the last two weeks in Ohio, there has been a mandate for all non-essential surgical cases to be postponed. And with that in place, if you can assume that about half of our residents were doing a GYN type rotation, we really had to look at those services and figure out like what we were going to do. Um, we also pretty quickly had some people who were out because of you know having to be home waiting for their time if they were ill. And so we quickly realized that we needed to implement a process so that our services that were going to continue to flourish and be the same busy that they already are. We do 10,000 deliveries across our enterprise at the three hospitals where our residents are at. Um, And we wanted to make sure that we have not only an essential group of residents that are being able to work, but also a very specific backup plan so that if people got pulled out, it wasn't this like minute-by-minute scramble. So actually starting at the beginning of this week, so we started this planning last week, we actually developed a new curriculum block for our residents where half of them essentially are well at home and half of them are rotating through all of the other rotations that needed to be covered for their education and for what's happening in our institute right now. So while those residents were at home, the question was, what are they going to be doing? And so we pretty quickly last week established a milestone specific learning plan for each of the PGY 1, 2, 3, and 4s. So came up actually with some of their most commonly missed CREOG questions, categorized those per milestone with the resources, are implementing some of the online learning tools for question banks and some of the surgical sites that are available, all specifically broken down for them. Um, And then the other really amazing thing, which you know because um, you were on one of these calls yesterday, um, we have developed a interactive plan so that there can be actually uh, virtual sessions that are happening that are interactive. So where we normally have our didactics, and we'll still stay that way for a half a day every Wednesday morning, we have also established times when they can be getting educational learning. And so for our fellows who are also sort of in a strange sort of holding pattern right now waiting for this surge, they are super excited to be providing education for our residents. And so a lot of this, most of it is OBGYN specific, but we also are starting to involve our ICU team. So for example, we're going to be having a refresher next week from one of our OB anesthesia critical care people on the basics of intubation, the basics of hypoxia, and have gotten one of our SICU fellowship directors to share the modules that are available for their residents and fellows so that our residents can help start to feel more comfortable with that in case our OB patients end up in that situation. That's great. And one added dimension to that is when we have these group virtual learning sessions, just like we said yesterday, it's so good to see everyone's faces. So I think on top of the learning, it also helps you know build some of the social webbing that keeps everyone together too. So really phenomenal job with that. Yeah, I think that's been important. The other thing that we started doing last week is um, I've been leading a call with the residents and the fellows because there's so much that's changing every day so that we can keep everybody in the loop and really try to make sure that everybody's having a chance to give their own voices. And then the other thing that we did that I think has been really important important in the residents staying um, engaged and in their well-being is we've set up PGY-specific meetings with one of our APDs or PDs each week. So for example, on Wednesday, one of our associate program directors met with just the PGY4 class 
And a few issues came up that hadn't come up at the big meeting that she was able to bring back so that we could help to address those um, and make sure that the residents are doing well. But that's something I think is going to be really important as this lasts longer. We're expecting now instead of a four-week span that this could, you know, we're not sure how long it will be, but we definitely are already working on the next four-week block as to what this is going to look like for us. So you're bringing up a really important part of this, which is communication. So in times of stress and in times of really frequent change, making more meetings and more communication is what really needs to happen. You're putting in a a really good plug for just routine, constant check-ins, even if you don't have all the answers at that time, is actually really critical. So really good point. So I'm thinking about your virtual lectures that are in the afternoon and how fellows are really involved in those. For Institutions that don't have fellows, what do you think about residents teaching residents? Like, do you think that would be a sustainable model where residents were actually lecturing to each other if they didn't have that hierarchy of fellows above them or staff that was too busy maybe to participate? So I think that that we have actually utilized this a lot, and this has been resident-driven. So we have a strong faculty involvement with giving didactics, even on our normal curriculum. And the residents had come back and actually wanted a time where they can, you know, in a scheduled fashion, not just to fill in if somebody doesn't show up, but to actually have a curriculum that they've developed. Um, And we actually have an education chief who does that. So each year we have one resident who is taken on the opportunity to help develop that curriculum. So I think it is sustainable and an option. I do think that there would need to be some oversight as to like what the topics were and to kind of help make sure that it's on a level that everybody can be engaged. And I think that that is definitely a possibility. The other exciting thing that you see as residents get together as both learners and teachers is that as the fellows were developing this from each of our fellowships, the next thing that they asked was is if the OB residents would and the OBGYN residents would be willing to give them some talks to help update them on OB topics because for a lot of them they haven't practiced OB for 3 years and they you know will have the potential to be utilized and if you say deployed for you know if you want to utilize that word but they'll be utilized potentially to help on the OBGYN floors if we do get into a surge situation Really, really great point. You know, I keep thinking about us needing to learn about ICU and us needing to bring in, you know, these intensive care people to help us, but we should be reciprocating that just as much. Really, really good point. And that also would help build that social network between different subspecialties and make everyone feel like we're in this together. Yeah, I think not only is it good for education, but, you know, for all of us, and I'll include myself and you, you know, we all are these like type A personalities. So I think that like having something to like get ready for other people and to prepare is really crucial. And the second piece of it is, is that our residents and our fellows are now helping for the OBGYN medical students who are not able to be part of clinical rotations currently. So they actually will be starting part of an educational flip classroom that they're going to be doing with them throughout the days also. And then how about the online curriculum that's already out there, like through Surgery U? I know they have a really great AGL slash ACOG curriculum that's right on the Surgery U website, and they've made that free for all residents, and they recently just expanded that to medical students as well. Are we utilizing that very much yet? So we actually have that in the next batch of things. The residents have the opportunity and are well aware of the Surgery U on AAGL. Um, we have uh, one of our FPRMS people, um, Dr. Walters, who has an online site that they've been utilizing that some also. And then of course, APCO CREOG has uh, their resident site where they can access all of the case-based studies. 
And it's really exciting. Um, a lot of the organizations that have case-based studies have offered free trials to the residents, which has been great. So there's you know, some of those that they haven't had access to before that they are really enjoying being involved with. Perfect. And I want to have all of these links under our show notes. So for our listeners, if you log on to the podcast and go under show notes, we'll have links to all of these different resources available for you. We'll be right back after this message. Today's episode is brought to you by MedJobNetwork.com. Ready to start your career in your dream location? Looking to expand your skills in a dynamic new practice setting? Start your search today at MedJobNetwork.com. MedJobNetwork.com sorts thousands of physician job opportunities in every specialty and all 50 states. Visit us once, create a profile, then let our technology bring the right jobs to you. There's no need to search again and again. MedJobNetwork.com does all the work for you. It's time to take that next step. There's a great new career opportunity waiting for you at MedJobNetwork.com. So bringing it back to the clinical aspect of this pandemic, so half of the residents are at home so they can stay safe, stay healthy, and be ready to rotate in. For the residents who are here at the hospital, are they allowed to participate in telemedicine? So it's actually exciting. So as we talk about the downfalls and the scary parts and everything about COVID-19, there definitely are things that are coming out that are positive. And so one of those has been an escalation of the residents being able to be involved in virtual visits. So the ACGME actually has some very nice guidelines and our residents who hadn't been able to do virtual visits actually started them last week, which is exciting. Um, So even on their clinic patients, they've been able to do virtual visits. And the guidelines are really nice because it actually has very in there defining whether the staff has to be on the call, but they actually also have the opportunity to do it independently, which I think is an exciting learning experience for the residents. Then they come back to the faculty or the staff and can discuss it after the call and then actually can just reach back out to the patient if there's any change in the plan. But otherwise, the staff doesn't actually have to physically be on the call with the residents. So it's a really cool autonomous experience for the residents. I love that in every aspect, safety for our residents, as well as access for our patients to the residents. And it also allows a little bit more autonomy, right? That's always a big discussion about how much autonomy are we giving to our learners. And this is a great way to do it. I really like it a lot. So I've noticed that the GME is discussing these three stages of the pandemic, right? There's stage one, business as usual, stage two, increased demands, and stage three, pandemic urgent status. Are you able to expand on where we are currently now in Northeast Ohio? So I will speak specifically to the clinic on that. And I'm going to say that we're at a 1.5 because it's definitely not business as usual. So for sure, you know, we have postponed all of the non-essential surgeries. There's nobody being involved in any like routine GYN surgery, which is a huge, huge volume of their experience. Um, And so it definitely is not business as usual. As we just said, they get to do virtual visits, but they haven't, which is great. However, at least for us in OBGYN, we are not in a um, situation yet where they've had to have their education limited or postponed like their didactics, which is part of that level two. 
Um, and they really are not getting pulled yet to other services, although I think that that will start to change as we start to see more patients who are you know, presenting in the OBGYN world and specifically um, in those areas to require them to be doing different tasks or different responsibilities than they would be doing in another situation. But we definitely are planning for that, both on an institute level and on a, like from the entire Cleveland Clinic enterprise and from the Women's Health Institute. So if and when we reach that stage three pandemic urgent status, where exactly are our residents and fellows being looked at to be redeployed? Do you have any idea on that? So I think it's even before that third stage. So I think that, you know, the our GME department is actually developing a tiered system so that we can identify, you know, who has which skill set and who needs to be trained more urgently in acute care, like critical care patients. Um, and trying to figure out like where each residency type would fit into that sort of tiered system for redeployment. Um, I think that for OBGYN, especially with a very busy OB service across the areas, I think that the OBGYN residents in particular will, I mean, they won't be part of the first tier to be deployed to other places, but they may be deployed, for example, from GYN to OB to help to cover that. Depends on where they see it. I mean, we also have gynoc service that could potentially be, you know, requiring more intensive care. Right. And I think we have probably about two to three weeks until we reach that peak. So we do have a lot of planning going on now, which I can congratulate all of you guys sitting at the table right now, putting these different ideas into motion. So just like you said, we're not going minute by minute at the very end, but making plans now. That's awesome. And I do want to make the point that with the stage three, pandemic urgent status. I know I've had a lot of learners asking me about what does that look like in regard to like my safety, supervision, work hour requirements. And so I just want to make sure that everyone listening, uh, learners as well, understands that even in the pandemic status, we still are prioritizing uh, adequate resources and training, adequate supervision, work hour requirements do not change. Is that right, Dr. Reed? That is correct, and that is very like strongly reiterated multiple times. I think that you have heard across the country, I mean, I can think of at least one example where they are at a next stage that is even after that, maybe the three plus, where there has been some lifting of that, um, but that is in, you know, in extreme situations. Obviously, everyone's very anxious about this in general, but a lot of residents are asking about how this is impacting their case numbers and what this looks like for graduation. I know it's really early to tell. We don't know how long this is going to last. But in your opinion, how is this going to impact residents long term in regard to case numbers and in regard to any issues that you foresee with actually graduating? So for us, we are lucky in this regard. So actually, um, for our program, most of our residents by the end of their third year have actually reached their minimum case rent numbers. And that will not be the case for many places. And the most recent thing that I have seen in um, this part is obviously a changing thing, but I have a feeling just um, based on what we're seeing that a lot of the residents would still qualify for graduation, but we will have to see what all of the other governing agencies decide as far as where that leniency um, or changes might be. But um, I think that sometimes it comes down to the program director feeling comfortable with the resident skill set before they can sign off that they're okay to go into practice or fellowship. And this brings up the really big discussion piece of competency-based 
assessments as well, right? Numbers aren't everything. And this may be a push for a better competency-based education in the, in the big picture. I know that that's a passion of yours, Dr. King. So, um, and I agree. I mean, I think that that, as you look at like residency, length of residency, case numbers, um, there's a lot of um, research starting to like look at that and see if there's other better ways to establish whether, uh, you know, how many vaginal deliveries does a resident actually need to do to become competent versus like how many, you know, vaginal hysterectomies or laparoscopic hysterectomies. And I have a question about medical students, and I know this isn't your exact role, but I'm just curious of your thoughts on this. So I know NYU has permitted early graduation of their medical students who have met their minimum requirements to help with volunteer work in the emergency room and on the medicine floors. I'm just curious, have we thought about early graduation for our medical students at all? Do you know of? I haven't heard anything about them graduating early. In fact, they're mostly like trying to make sure that they're getting the education that they need. Otherwise, the medical students are doing a lot of great things right now as far as doing some virtual visits, screening patients for COVID, being able to be involved in those discussions. Um, They've been starting to look at like where research opportunities lie with mentors um, regarding COVID. And um, I think that, you know, a lot of them are really excited. Well, excited is a strange word, but they're very willing and interested in being part of the experience for patients and helping out with patient care. Yeah, I have seen the exact same thing, both with our residents at home and our medical students that are at home. Even though they're not physically present here, they are very involved. They're very interested in how they can still be helping us out, doing a lot of virtual work. So I'm really impressed with our trainees. So in regard to the emotional stress that all of our trainees are experiencing right now with the rapid changing of the status because of COVID. Can you talk about what resources we're offering here at the Cleveland Clinic to help with some of the emotional stress that our trainees are experiencing? Sure. So actually, it's really nice. There's a whole group that's actually working on this from the Cleveland Clinic standpoint, putting together an entire set of resources that are available to everybody, including the residents that are posted in a uniform site so that people can get to them. There definitely are a lot of meditation apps that are available through the Cleveland Clinic and externally. I know that Headspace is actually offering something free for anybody that has an NPI. So we have pushed that out to everybody to make sure that they know that. And the Cleveland Clinic has an internal source also for meditation. The other thing that is always available that is super important that we are really lucky to have is a system in place where anybody, faculty, residents, anybody that works at the Cleveland Clinic, any staff can actually reach out to a line that is staffed um, for emotional support if that becomes necessary um, to help connect people with psychologists, psychiatrists, if that's needed. And I think that um, the groups that I was talking about where we're meeting once a week with the PGY-specific classes so that they can have an area or a time when they can get together on something like Zoom, um, and that's what we're using so that they can all see each other and talk and stay connected. Those are kind of small things and big things that all um, are in an effort to try to make sure that everybody's well-being is in a good place. Taking care of each other, having compassion. Yeah, these are really good themes. And then my last question is a little bit more difficult. And again, it's theoretical. I'm just curious of your opinion on this. So there have been a lot of ideas 
about pushing back the start date of the medical academic year from July 1, because we theorize that we'll probably still be in the middle of this pandemic at that time. And from a public health perspective, having thousands of people moving across country would be very much against what we need to do at this important time. So in your opinion, is that something that we should be thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be thinking about everything right now. And I think that all of those points that you bring up are really valid. I think that other potential concerns are that if people, like what happens with the fourth years then? Are they staying where they are? Are they done being part of a residency? Are they, you know, how does that look? So another possibility is continuation of this kind of like virtual experience where potentially people start out their residency or fellowship in almost like a tracking block or an elective block where they might be able to be doing some learning from where they're at in the hopes that maybe by August things are better. But the whole curriculum and rotational schedules for every residency program are going to be a little bit tricky coming in July because for sure if people have international graduates who are joining their programs, there's going to be some limitations still in place. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing, but I would expect We definitely are working towards one thing, which is something we can do, and that is recently at APCO CREOG, there was a push for the fellowships, even outside of COVID, to be having a delayed start from the well-being of a fourth-year resident trying to start a fellowship. um, It's really difficult to take a qualifying exam, which this year happened to be scheduled on, you know, the 29th or something, and then they have to be in potentially another state across the country two days later, already moved in and ready to work. Um, And so um, that is something that we are trying that isn't COVID specific, but will actually be helpful. Um, That wouldn't be for our residents, but it would be for our fellowships to potentially be looking at a delayed start even by a week that might be helpful. Um, But from a long-term standpoint, if COVID is peaking in Ohio mid-May, early June, which is what some of the predictions are showing, um, the possibility of people not being able to travel, find places to live, by July 1st is really tricky. So I think that that's something that hopefully will not be program specific. Um, Hopefully that will be something that we get some guidance um, from some of our national um, organizations to look towards like what that will look like and how that will impact um, people's ability um, to, you know, have certain hours or certain weeks that are involved with resident education. So it sounds like we have to be flexible and nimble And really just work together week by week to figure these things out. Because just like we've talked about, things are changing rapidly. Yeah, flexibility is the new normal word. I feel like often if you've ever played that twister game, um, (laughs) it's kind of like every day is kind of like that. Or yoga might be a little more calm way of describing it because twister, everybody's way closer than six feet apart. So maybe we won't go with the twister analogy. (laughs) Maybe we'll go with individualized uh, yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. It's a good analogy. And I'm just curious, as, as we're talking through this, do you know of any listservs where people are talking about this on like a program director level, a GME level? Is that out there right now? Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that. So actually at 11 o'clock, there's actually um, not on that topic, but I'm sure that will be the next one. Um, there's a meeting starting here soon that's all program directors and how to institute a virtual um, educational program. So um, we'll chirp in with some of our pearls and hopefully gain some other things from other places that, as to like what they're doing. But I think that, you know, as things are rolling out, I think that people are looking at even just big things like graduation, like are those going to happen? Are they not going to happen? And then like how residency will look in July 1st. You know, I think that all of these are things that are like rolling discussions. And one, as the time, you know, as we get past the like, okay, what are we doing today? People are really starting to look at what do we be doing tomorrow? What do we be doing in July? And how all of that will look. 
Well, I think that is all the time we have today, Dr. Reed. I really appreciate your insight and your expertise on this area. You've been really instrumental in helping us all kind of figure these things out for our learners. So thank you so much for all of your hard work and for your time this morning. Thanks for inviting me, Dr. King. I appreciate it. Have a great day. And that's all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.